Welcome to session four of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this on the 1st of January, then today should be the 4th of January. Today we'll be looking at Genesis 12 to 15 and Psalm 4. But so far in Genesis, we have covered the creation and fall of humanity. We've looked at how God created the earth by bringing order to it and then put humans on the earth to spread that order. Instead, the humans chose to do things their own way, leading to violence, death, and pollution of all that God had created. So God decided to wipe everything out as easily as he first made it. Just as he split the waters to create life, he allowed the waters to rush back in and wash away all of humanity and its wickedness. He chose Noah and his family to carry on his purpose and order as humanity was always meant to. However, we saw that Noah and his family were just as vulnerable to the same corruption as those that had come before them. As God describes it, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. This is Genesis 8, verse 21. Before long, humanity was just as corrupt and wicked as before. But God had promised not to wipe humanity out again. So this time he chose to disinherit them. He would no longer be their God. Instead, he put other spiritual beings in charge of them. He would then choose a new people to be his, which is where we pick up today. So looking at Genesis 12, to 15, we see God choose Abraham, who is soon to be called Abraham, to be a new nation. And it is this nation that God will be God too. As we will eventually read in Deuteronomy 32, while God divided up the people into nations that his spiritual beings would lead on his behalf, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, would be his people, the nations that he looked after. Now you may still be thinking, well that's unfair, what about all the other nations? Well, let's look at the promise God makes to Abraham. He says this in verse 3 of chapter 12. In you, all families of the world will be blessed. It's not 100% clear yet, but here we see the beginning of God's plan to use Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, to be an example to the other nations to guide them back into personal relationship with him. God leads Abraham to the land of Canaan and promises this land to his descendants. And so the rest of Genesis is watching Abraham grow into this family. And then that family grow into a nation. What we learn immediately about Abraham is that he's a flawed human being. Despite God's promise to bless him, Abraham quickly becomes afraid of the growing famine and leaves the land of Canaan and tries to save himself by going to Egypt. Like Adam and Eve, he chooses his own wisdom rather than trusting in God's wisdom. He lies about his wife being his sister and then trades her off to Pharaoh for a load of cattle and then takes both the cattle and his wife back later when Pharaoh wants nothing to do with him. Just like Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Egyptians see that Sarah was beautiful and they take her, which is the same language in Genesis 3 and the same language we saw in Genesis 6. And so Abraham is literally playing the role of the serpent here with his deception to the Egyptians. Even though God chooses people to be his, at times those same people can play the role of the children of the serpent. However, God is committed to Abraham despite his flaws and uses Pharaoh to bless Abraham. But because his blessings come out of Abraham's disobedience, it comes with a consequence. Abraham's newfound wealth causes division between his people and his nephew Lot, who was travelling with him. The two decide to go their separate ways, which will bring its own problems, as we'll see. The land that Lot chose was at war, and Lot and his family are soon taken captive as prisoners of war. Lotter greedily picked the best land he could see, and now his greed had come back to get him. In contrast, 
Abraham selfishly goes into battle to rescue Lot, and God continues to bless him, giving him victory. This time, Abraham makes sure to honour God by giving one-tenth of his winnings to a priest of God named Melchizedek. God later confirms that he's going to give Abraham many descendants, and even though Abraham doesn't understand how, the Bible simply says he believes the Lord. That's Genesis 15 verse 6. This is why the New Testament writers applaud Abraham as our example of faith. We may not understand what God is doing or how he's going to keep his promises to us, but we can still trust and believe in him. So God seals his promise with another covenant, a legally binding contract. This one he seals by walking through a number of cut-up animal corpses. Now this might seem weird to us, but this was the ancient equivalent of spitting and shaking on something. The idea was that if the one who walks through the corpses breaks his contract, may he end up cut open like the corpses were. Again, the God of heaven and earth makes a contract with a human where he commits himself to them no matter what they do. God then warns Abraham that his descendants will be foreigners in a different land, mistreated and enslaved for 400 years. God would use this to bring them out of that land wealthy so they might return to this land and establish themselves. So then let's look at Psalm 4. This psalm is attributed to King David and can be labelled as another lament psalm, which makes up a third of all psalms in the Bible. Biblical lament is whenever a person takes their pain, hurts and frustrations before God. It tends to include four steps, turning to God, bringing your complaint before God, making a request of God and then declaring trust in God. As always, here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to properly see the structure for yourself. So in verse 1, we have the psalmist asking God to hear and answer them. In verse 2, we get the complaint. In verse 3, we get them declaring trust in God. Then in verses 4 and 5, they have offer some wisdom to those who are struggling. And finally, in verses 6 to 8, they declare trust in God. Turning to God, the psalmist's main desire is to know that God is listening. Often when we go through difficult times, the most difficult thing is feeling that God is silent in our struggles. It seems like they are being accused of something, and they are upset that their honour has been turned to shame and that everyone is making up lies about them. But this person chooses to respond to these insults by putting their trust in God. While humans may accuse and lie, God sets those that are his apart and listens to them when they pray. Next, the psalmist gives themselves a pep. In the middle of this struggle, it would be very easy to make some poor decisions and do stuff that they shouldn't. Instead, they choose not to respond out of anger, but take themselves away and think through everything properly. They should make sure that they are right before God and put their trust in him. The psalmist is now beginning to pull himself out of this sense of despair. He could continue like many others, wondering if anything good will happen and begging God to be kind to him. But the psalmist knows that God's will is already for him and has given him the joy he needs to survive. And so to end, the psalmist makes the greatest declaration of trust in God. He will sleep peacefully that night, knowing that God is the one who keeps him safe. Just as Psalm 3 is a prayer that was commonly read out in the morning, Psalm 4 was read out in the evening before going to bed each night. These two psalms serve as a reminder of the importance of starting and ending each day with God. It's the greatest way to get through those difficult times.